Well, good morning. Welcome to the Blue Lake Presbyterian Church. Well, today's message is titled Second Coming. Uh, but I'd like to kick it off with something funny. A pastor went to visit one of his elderly church members. And they got into some deep conversations about the end days and the second coming. And at one point, the pastor spotted a bowl of peanuts on the coffee table. Well, he he loved peanuts, so he couldn't resist. And while talking away, he just grabbed a handful of peanuts. And he just started nibbling on them as, as they were talking. Well, these peanuts were pretty good, and he truly enjoyed them. So he couldn't help himself, and he grabbed another hand of peanuts out of that bowl. Well, at one point, the other little lady went to the kitchen to make some coffee. And uh, while she was away, he grabbed the last, whatever was left in that bowl, and ate all those peanuts. Well, when the lady came back with the coffee from the kitchen, he apologized to her for eating all the peanuts. She replied, well, that's quite all right. I love chocolate. And from time to time, my son actually brings me some chocolate-covered peanuts. And at my age, I I can't chew those peanuts. So instead, I suck all the chocolate away, and I spit the peanuts in the bowl. (laughs) So the, the calendar year obviously runs from January 1st through December 31st. But in the church year, the church year actually starts in two weeks. Uh, the first Sunday of Advent, marking the coming of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And John's Gospel eloquently describes the first coming of Jesus. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. But the message today is about the second time that Jesus is coming back. Oh, uh, just last week, I drove to Willow Creek on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, just like the weather we're having today, to check up on some of our crops there. Like this orange ilex we have mixed in the tulips, picking those for, uh, for Thanksgiving and the red ones for Christmas. It was a beautiful, peaceful, sunny afternoon. So after looking through the farm, I stopped and and checked our cabin, make sure everything was fine in there. And um, after about 10 minutes, everything looked good, and I hopped into the truck and drove back to Arcada. Well, soon after getting back to Arcada, I realized I was missing my coat. And suddenly I realized that I had left my coat in the cabin. Well, it wasn't just my coat that was missing. It included my wallet, my driver's license, and a bunch of other things. So talk about an abrupt ending to a peaceful afternoon. 
There was no other option but get back in the truck and drive back to Willow Creek for a second time. Oh, at first it felt like 90 minutes were completely wasted. But then again, were they truly wasted? An hour and a half of driving back to Willow Creek and back provided time for reflection during an otherwise busy, rushed schedule. And having to go back a second time also gave an opportunity to reflect on Jesus coming back a second time. Jesus is going back from the kingdom of heaven, where he is seated on the right hand of God. But he's coming back to us a second time in our universe as we know it, as we sit here today. Or the second coming is a hotly debated topic and a source of of much controversy. A poll that was conducted by the Pew Research in 2006 found that 41% of adults in America believe that Christ will return to earth before 2050. 2050. Now, 79% of Christians in America believe that Jesus will come back a second time. Well, earlier this week, I spoke to my Dutch cousin. He is also a part-time preacher. And I asked him, how is this second coming being perceived in a secularized society like Holland? And he indicated to me that just the few people, even mainstream Christians, talk about the second coming, let alone believe in it. And in a survey called Likely to Happen, conducted in England in 2010, only 3% of respondents were confident that Jesus would return in the next 40 years. But there is solid biblical basis for the second coming. Jesus, on multiple occasions, foretold his disciples about coming back. In John 14, 28, he said, You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Then in Matthew, the entire chapter of Matthew 24 and a portion of Matthew 25 are devoted to the second coming. Jesus said in Matthew 25:30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So in the, in the, in the, uh, the Gospels of Luke, Mark, and Matthew, Jesus actually uses five parables to illustrate and underscore his coming back, his second coming. But the ultimate book in the Bible that covers the second coming of Christ from front to back is Paul's first letter 
to the Thessalonians. Which brings us to today's reading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And it can be found in your pew Bible on page 204 in the back end of the, uh, of the uh, Bible. I'll give you a moment to look it up. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness. For that day to to surprise you like a thief, for, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us, not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. Well, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians is considered one of his earliest letters, possibly even the first one he wrote. And Paul wrote this letter soon after arriving in Corinth on his second journey, somewhere in the year 52 AD. Well, Thessalonica was located at the head of the Thermaic Gulf. It was a coastal town on a major Roman road called the Via Ignatia, running eastward from Rome. It was a seaport and and very close to a coastal plain with very fertile soil. These three advantages made Thessalonica the largest, most important commercial and political center in Macedonia. Today, Thessalonica is known as Salonica and is still an important city in Greece. In the days of Paul, Thessalonica was inhabited by people from all over the known world. From the north, the barbaric Germanic people, bringing pagan religions and culture. Greeks, bringing refinement and philosophy. Romans from the west, bringing wealth and political power. And Jews had come in large numbers from the east, 
And eventually, one-third of the population of Thessalonica was made up of Jewish people. Thessalonica, with a population of about 200,000, was truly a cosmopolitan city. It was a resort and a health center because of its hot springs next, in the town next door. It was a commercial center because of its seaport, fertile plains, and the proximity to the Ignatian Way. Paul's ministry in Thessalonica followed his usual pattern of going to the Jews first and then turning to the Gentiles. Paul preached for three weeks on three Sabbaths in the synagogue in Thessalonica. His message was, Jesus is the Messiah. And he used Old Testament scriptures to show that the Messiah was destined to be a suffering Messiah. Paul emphasized on the resurrection and offered salvation to all. Well, the Jewish leaders did not like what they heard, and they drove him out of town after three weeks. That abrupt departure from Thessalonica left Paul anxious about the conditions of his brothers and sisters in Christ. So he wrote his letter to praise the Christians in Thessalonica for their unwavering belief in Jesus Christ. And despite persecution, they had remained strong and proved to be an example to others, to Christians in other cities. Well, this letter is unique as every chapter ends with a reference to the second coming of Christ. Paul writes in verse 2, For you yourself know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. On the day of the Lord, what does that really mean? It is a term that was used in the Old Testament, mainly by the prophets Isaiah, Sephaniah, and Joel. None of the Gospels directly use this term, but it describes the Armageddon, the end times, the last days. And by extension, it implies the second coming. Jesus said in Luke 21.9, When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Well, in January of this year, North Korean President uh, Kim Jong-un said that his country is in the final stages of developing a long-range guided missile capable of carrying nuclear warheads. Then in July of this year, North Korea test-fired a long-range missile into the Sea of Japan, with some experts expressing concern that a missile could potentially reach Alaska. Then in October of this year, a senior North Korean official issued a stern warning to the world that it should 
take literally his country's threat to test a nuclear weapon above ground. A powerful hydrogen bomb could be detonated at high altitude and create an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, capable of taking out the American, parts of the American power grid and communication network. Or the recent war of words between the presidents of North Korea and the United States makes one wonder about those words in Luke 21.10. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Then in the next verse, in Luke 21.11, Jesus predicted there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues and there will be a dreadful warnings and great signs from heaven. According to a report of the Geological Society of America, the annual number of great earthquakes, meaning 8 plus on the Richter scale, nearly tripled in the last decade, providing a reminder to Americans that the unruptured fault lines, like those in the Northwest, may be due for the big one. Between 2004 and 2014, 18 earthquakes of a magnitude 8 plus rattled subduction zones around the world. That's an increase of 265% over the average rate of the previous century, which saw 71 of those earthquakes in 100 years. In Luke 21 26, Jesus said, People will faint from fear and darkness of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He warns in Luke 21 34, Be on God so that your hearts are not weighed down with indulgence and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that the day does not catch you unexpectedly. Well, despite this increased earthquake activity and the North Korean threat, I am in no way suggesting a prediction of the timing of the second coming. But for the last 2,000 years, there have been countless predictions about the end of the world and the second coming. For instance, the Jewish Essene sect of ascetics saw the Jewish revolt against the Romans in 66 to 70 AD as the final end-time battle, which would bring the arrival of the Messiah. Then French Bishop Hilary of Poitiers announced that the end of the world would happen in the year 365 AD. Or Hippolytus of, of Rome predicted that Jesus would return in the year 500. Various Christian clerks, including Pope Sylvester II, predicted the end of the world in the year 1000, at the first millennium. Then Pope Innocent III predicted the world would end in 1284, precisely 660 years after the rise of Islam. Then Christopher Columbus, in his book of prophecies, 
predicted the world would end in 1658. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, foresaw Christ's return in 1836, referring to Revelation 12.14. And Jim Jones, remember Jim Jones, the founder of the People's Temple? He predicted a nuclear holocaust would take place in 1967. Then Pat Robertson, another familiar name, predicted in his 700 Club TV program that the world would come to an end in 1982. Isaac Newton, another familiar name, predicted in his book Observations Upon Prophecies of Daniel and Revelation that Christ's millennium would begin in the year 2000. And then Harold Camping of Family Radio in Alameda made several predictions of the end days. And his most publicized one was his May 21, 2011 prediction. Well, these predictions of the second coming use, in, in, in some cases, some great detail. Many books have been written on this subject. But guess what? They were all wrong. There is no reason to listen to anyone making predictions. Because scripture is crystal clear on the timing of the second coming. Paul wrote in verse 2, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now Paul knew because Jesus had said so, as recorded in Mark 13, 32. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take notice, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. He said in Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Well, the Lord said to John in Revelation 3, 3, Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will, co I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Folks, this is the question of the hour. Are we ready for the second coming? No matter what the circumstances are. Don't guess or speculate about the time. It could be another thousand years. Hundred years. But it could be tomorrow. It could be today. Are we prepared if that happens today? Are we ready? Benjamin Franklin said, The only thing that is certain are death and taxes. Or inevitably, at some point, the end of our world is coming to us when we die.
That could happen at any time. For any of us. What have we done to prepare for that moment? You may ask, what do I have to do? Well, Jesus said in Mark 1.15, The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. Are we willing to change the way we live our life? Acknowledge that we have sinned? Talk to God and say that we have sinned. Say, I'm sorry. And I will change the way that I've been living. But I need your help. Jesus said in John 14:1, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me also. Don't wait any longer. Start a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Accept him as your Lord and Savior today. And then we are no longer in darkness. For we are children of the light and children of the day. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.